Well, hey there. Welcome to Challenger Approaching, a podcast about the history behind every major franchise featured in the Super Smash Bros. series. I'm your host, freelance games journalist and author, Ben Bertoli. Since we're three episodes in, I'm going to go ahead and streamline my intro explanation. Here on Challenger Approaching, I cover key entries, interesting game details, and fun trivia about a single series. A guest expert or superfan will also be dropping by to give us the lowdown on their favorite game or a moment in the series history that they find intriguing. As a quick warning, I'm not so great at pronouncing Japanese words and names, and they do tend to pop up, so I apologize in advance if I butcher them. For our third episode, we'll be focusing on one of the most hardcore, dark, and mature Nintendo series of all time. I'm just kidding. We're going to be talking about Animal Crossing, the unbelievably adorable life sim known for its furry neighbors, endless fishing, and the looming shadow of crippling mortgage payments. Okay, maybe it is kind of hardcore. many likely believe the Animal Crossing series began on the GameCube, it actually sprung to life as the Nintendo 64's last first-party title in Japan. Released in April of 2001, the game launched as Dobutsu no Mori, which translates not to Animal Crossing, but to Animal Forest, the series' official name in Japan to this day. The original game was initially in development for the ill-fated Nintendo 64 disk drive, or DD as it was known. The disk drive was a floppy disk add-on that didn't find much of an audience in Japan and was never released outside of that market. Unlike the regular Nintendo 64, the DD featured an internal clock that players could set. A seemingly boring feature, but one that inspired the developers at Nintendo to begin work on a life simulation game that could track real-time and would keep playing, even after it was turned off. With the disk drive's many launch delays, the Animal Crossing team soon decided to move the game to a normal Nintendo 64 cartridge. Their solution for replicating the DD's internal clock was to embed a real-time clock of their own directly into every game cartridge. The player would set it once, and the game would keep time, even if it wasn't powered on. As was the case with most first entries, Animal Forest set the groundwork and the standard gameplay aspects for every game to follow. Players would assume the role as the lone human in a town of cutesy animal neighbors, who they could interact with in various ways. When not interacting with animal buddies, players could decorate their homes, shop, fish, garden, catch bugs, pick fruit, and collect fossils, all under the slow-ticking time constraints of a real 24-hour day. Soon-to-be well-known characters like Business Tanuki Tom Nook, Guitar Dog K.K. Slider, and the adventure-seeking Seagull Gulliver also appeared in the original Nintendo 64 game. Receiving favorable reviews and modest sales, especially for a game on a soon-to-be-obsolete console, Nintendo was quick to recognize the appeal of Animal Forest, and made the decision to port it, almost immediately, to the GameCube with some additional content. In fact, the GameCube version, simply dubbed Animal Forest Plus, launched in the same year as its Nintendo 64 predecessor, a mere 8 months apart. 
many notable Animal Crossing residents and locations that hadn't fit in the original Nintendo 64 version were the bulk of what made Animal Forest Plus a whole new experience. This included the Able Sisters, hedgehogs who gave players the ability to design their own clothes, Talkative Owl Curator Blathers and his sprawling museum, Salty Sailor Cap'n and his exotic island, and of course the lovable tortoise mare, Tortimer. All made their first appearance on the GameCube. The game also gave players more fish and bugs to catch, as well as some more options for house expansions such as a second floor or a basement. Surprisingly, the original Animal Forest did feature one of the series' most well-loved items, playable Famicom systems. Players could boot up Clue Clue Land, Balloon Fight, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., Pinball, Tennis, and Golf all from the safety of their virtual home. These were no mere demos, but the full versions of classic Nintendo games. Some of these games would also show up on the Western release of Animal Crossing, with the in-game consoles redesigned to resemble the Nintendo Entertainment systems of yore. Animal Forest Plus kept all seven of the original games intact, also adding Gomoku Narabe, Mahjong, and other classics into the mix. Around the launch of Animal Forest Plus in December of 2001, Nintendo also launched a new device for the Game Boy called the e-reader. The e-reader could scan e-cards, each with its own unique dot code. Coupled with the GameCube's Game Boy Advance Link cable, players were invited to use the e-reader to scan in never-before-seen outfit designs, music tracks, minigames, and notes from villagers. Of course, one had to first collect all the cards in the series if they wanted to experience these special perks. Though it failed miserably elsewhere, the e-reader was a surprise success in Japan. It would go on to be sold until the end of the Game Boy line in September of 2008. With a certified hit on their hands, Nintendo began the arduous process of translating the Animal Forest Plus text into English and other languages for a wider release. Much of the English translation fell to the employees of Nintendo of America's secretive Treehouse Division. The Animal Crossing team worked tirelessly to translate and rewrite thousands of lines of dialogue for North American audiences, going so far as to add more conversation content. The game also had to be tweaked to replace or remove items, locations, and holidays that only Japanese players would recognize. It was a lot of work for the American Treehouse team, but the end result was so incredible that Japanese executives decided they wanted to re-translate all of the English dialogue back into Japanese for yet another Animal Forest upgrade. The result of this back-and-forth translation marathon was Animal Forest E+, another Japanese-exclusive Animal Forest title for the GameCube. E+, came bundled with, you guessed it, the Game Boy Advance e-reader, as well as six special e-cards. This doubly enhanced version launched in the summer of 2003 and was considered by Animal Forest fans to be the best in the series at the time. Done with their Game Boy line of handhelds, Nintendo launched its new mobile gaming device, the Nintendo DS, in 2004. The original DS was pretty darn ugly, but its dual displays and touchscreen gameplay pulled in millions of new players. The DS was also the first handheld to offer any online play of substance. 
Nintendo had dabbled with a few online Game Boy games with the release of their failed mobile Game Boy adapter in 2001, but the DS was the real deal. While the DS's Wi-Fi capabilities were embedded from the start, it was over a year until the system would actually take players online. In November of 2005, Mario Kart DS became the first DS game to feature Nintendo Wi-Fi connection online play. Tagging along, not even a month later, was the newest Animal Crossing offering, Wild World. Wild World, known in Japan as Animal Forest, come on over, was extremely similar to its console counterparts on the GameCube. The biggest change was the game's control scheme and double-decker visuals. Players could now simply poke the location they wanted their villager to go and watch them scoot to that place. The touchscreen also made managing items, typing out letters, and designing outfits much more manageable and far less time-consuming. Players' villagers were given a wide array of new customization options, such as hats, facial accessories, hairstyles, and more. Two new tools, the slingshot and the watering can, made their premiere in Wild World, allowing players to shoot down mysterious presents floating by on the DS's top screen and keep their gardens looking extra fresh. Wild World was Animal Crossing on the go, and though critics found much of it to be a little too familiar, fans fell in love all over again. To this day, Wild World remains the only Animal Crossing game to get an authentic re-release on a separate console, launching on the Wii U's Virtual Console in 2016. The success of Wild World in Japan led to the series being considered for a full-length movie. Almost exactly a year after the release of the DS game, Dobutsu no Mori the Movie premiered in Japan. The movie centered on an 11-year-old girl named Ai, who is the new resident of an animal village. Like characters in the game, Ai initially works for business tanuki Tom Nook and befriends different animal neighbors. The bulk of the movie's plot centers on Ai's dismay when her best friend moves away and the contents of a strange bottle that she finds washed up on the beach. During its theatrical run, the movie would go on to gross $16,216,000, despite never being released outside of Japan. Even before the Wii, Nintendo's new motion-controlled home console started selling like gangbusters, the Animal Crossing team was hard at work on a new entry for the system. Animal Crossing City Folk was the result. City Folk, also known as Let's Go to the City and Let's Visit the Town, added more online options and a strangely not-so-bustling urban setting for players to visit. Though the game featured more clothes, furniture, bugs, fish, neighbors, and activities, it was even less of a step up from its predecessor content-wise than even Wild World had been. Even motion controls in a fancy online communication add-on called We Speak couldn't save City Folk from being considered the most mediocre game in the mainline Animal Crossing series. While Wild World ended its DS run with 12 million copies sold, City Folk wouldn't even cross 4 million. There wouldn't be another Animal Crossing title for 5 years, but the series was about to make a huge comeback with some fresh new ideas. 
here to talk about some of those ideas and what she considers to be the best Animal Crossing entry to date is freelance writer and IGN stuff doer, Narelle Hosang. Oh, wait, let me, uh, let me just turn on the translator here. That should do it. How's it going, Narelle? It's going well, thank you. So, is it true that you are an Animal Crossing fanatic? It is true. Before I got onto this call with you, I was playing Pocket Camp. The best, the best Animal Crossing game of all time. The very best. <laughs> so, speaking of which, which, uh, what game do you believe is is the best in the series thus far? It's gonna have to be New Leaf. I have a special place in my heart for game for the GameCube, the very first one that came out here in the US. But New Leaf just does everything really well to integrate a lot more features. And what what kind of new features were uh, introduced when New Leaf came out? So in New Leaf, you could be the mayor because Tortima is very old, so he's gone. Well, he's on vacation. He's not actually. <laughs> he's gone. not. He's not dead though. He's not okay. pushing up lilies or daisies or whatever Hmm. so you can be the mayor and you can pretty much design the town put in project works to create make like an expanded train station like even a zen bench i remember putting in there but also they had a thing called ordinances where you can dictate you know whether the town looks very beautiful so you don't have to water the plants as much as you run around you know my sister did that one so it was really cool for her. It looked great. My town didn't look as good because I had the late night ordinance because I was concerned with making as much money as possible. <laughs> so you could buy more great things for your town. So with the late night ordinance, the shops stay open later. So it was actually pretty good time management since Animal Crossing runs 24 hours a day. And usually, I think in the past games, it would all the shops would close at a certain time. But if you had the late night ordinance, you could leave them open a little bit longer. Say you had to work late or something, and you got home late, then you could go into you know the stores won't be closed, so you can go do your shark fishing, sell all your fish for a lot of money, and then run to the store before it closed at like ten or eleven. I think you made more money that way. Get more money to build up your projects or to share with friends because that was something you could do as well. You can invite people over and they could pitch in or you can ask for donations. And if they were really nice, they would. So who, who were some of the new characters that were introduced? I mean, all the classics like uh, Tom Nook and K.K. Slider, they're all there. But who's who's new this time around? So I guess the biggest one is Isabel, right? Mm-hmm. But we'll talk about her in a bit because I have much to say about Isabel. There's also Leaf, who is the gardener. He was a sloth and he actually didn't garden a lot he had his own plant shop. But so I never really stopped playing Animal Crossing once I first get it. I'll run through the entire year. But at some point, you know, sometimes life gets in the way. So maybe a few days would go by or a couple of weeks. And one time I had a lot of weeds because I didn't get to Animal Crossing for a couple of weeks. And when I got in there, I told Leaf, I'm like, okay, so help me out. He offered, like, let me clear my weeds for me. He didn't clear the weeds. He was actually asleep the whole time, and I ended up cleaning all the weeds. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Did you still have to pay? I think I paid him, but he was wow. the whole time. It's a terrible deal. Uh, who else? There's Kicks. Kicks is a skunk who sold Kicks. Because, you know, shoes are important. Especially when you're trying to run a town, you got to run all over. 
well, you don't want to do that because then you destroy your town. Oh, true. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people who would like put down special like custom made uh, pathways that somehow if you ran on them, you would not uh, damage the grass as much. But I didn't care. I would just I would just haul my butt as quickly uh, as possible around to everywhere. I, I, I could care less. Yeah, I would too. But that's why you and I probably didn't have the beautification ordinance in our towns. Well, that's probably why the sloth didn't want to help you clean up the town, because Leaf knew that you were just going to ruin it again. No, he's just a sloth. He's terrible. <laughs> there was, there's been some multiplayer in the past Animal Crossing games, but New Leaf uh, kind of brought like a whole other level to that with another trip out to the island with everyone's favorite, uh, Cap'n. Cap'n and his shanties. Yes, which I'm sure I can insert uh, into the episode right now. What what kind of games did uh, Cap'n have out on his island? Uh, it was actually Tortima's island, though, right? Technically. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Cap'n just uh, took you there. Yeah, but that was that was the fun part. The one I remember most was the smacking of the little gyroid-looking lawnmower thing. It's like whack-a-mole, but it would it would run off all over the place. So you try to hit it with your hammer. Except, of course, you're playing with friends. You hit them instead, and it was hilarious. Animal Crossing was one of the first games that we ever played together online, way back in 2013. Yep, summer of 2013. That's how pretty much we became friends, right? Yeah. And uh, uh, I feel like there was a contest where you had to catch a lot of sharks, too, right? Yes. And the greeting to hit people with their with your nets when they came into your town, that was right. special great. <laughs> But yeah, we did. We had a lot of fishing competitions at night who would get the most sharks. Um, I actually met one of our other friends for the first time in real life because Nintendo World in New York City had an Animal Crossing event for the launch. So that was pretty fun, too. I distinctly remember when I got the first Animal Crossing for the GameCube that there was a villager that I didn't like very much. And so I would go out of my way daily to hit them with shovels and nets and you know anything just to annoy them to the point where they you know wanted to move and eventually it worked so i don't know what kind of life lesson that taught uh you know middle school aged me probably not a good one but you know i did get it to work but you know you and i hit each other with the nets every time we got into new leaf and we're still friends so it's true so, is there, is there anything else about New Leaf that you uh, recall that, that makes it stand out as being, like, the best in the series? The friendship part that, you know, for the multiplayer, that we built some friendships around there, that mm-hmm. was that was pre- pretty much the most standout thing about the game for me. So, it was, like all Animal Crossings, it's, very, it's a very social game, even if you're not playing with, you know, a multiplayer friends across the world. I play with my sister all the time since the first one. But for this one, I actually got to meet people through it, through a game of all things. And something like Club LOL, for instance. Saturday nights, the club is open. Slider would come in and play his concert series. And you can invite friends in, which I did often. You know, friendships kind of built from there in real life, as in the game, too. Let's talk about uh, Isabel and Digby. One of which you love so much and one of which you're not too fond of. 
I like Digby, and I am probably one of the only people in this world who does not really care for Isabel. And I think, really, it's because she's not as nice as everyone thinks she is. Please elaborate. <laughs> so Tortima gets booted out of New Leaf. You know, he, he claims he's on retirement, and there's this peppy little dog there. And it's like, hey, what's going on? And then I always get the feeling that Isabel's trying to take over everything. I guess she's your assistant, and she pretty much does everything. Mm, so she's pulling the strings. She is pulling the strings. And then when she got intro- when she got announced for the Smash, um, the new Smash game, mm-hmm. there's this scene where she's thinking to herself, maybe I should be the mayor. It should be me. And she catches what she's saying. She's like, oh, no, I can't do that. You know, all my friends are waiting for me. I'm like, that's <laughs> that's the true Isabel right there. Well, then I guess maybe she's a perfect fit for Smash Brothers then, right? She's a little ruthless. Exactly. I think so. She's she's all cute and, uh, you know, seems like it's, oh, it's an accident. I hit you with this, you know, fishing pole. But in reality, you know, yeah. it's all subconscious. Yep. She wants to do it. Isabel's in charge and she's going to make sure everyone knows it. Oh, gosh. I'm sure some people are, are really, really love that mentality. <laughs> <laughs> and Digby is her brother in the game, right? Yeah. And his his role is like as the happy home showcase, right? Right, he is, and he, Digby stands there every day, just waiting for you to go and talk to him about Street Pass people that you've met for the showcase. I didn't really do that too much when I played, but I liked Digby. Just he'd have on his little yellow raincoat when it fell, the rain fell, and he didn't give me trouble like Isabel. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting for them to announce that he's going to be like an Echo Fighter for Isabel. I mean, that's the easiest palette swap. I feel like you know since the original Mario and Luigi, it's it's a it'd be yeah. a, it'd be a good one, an easy one to give to fans. So it's been, I mean, obviously, since 2013, we haven't had a official main series um, Animal Crossing game. We've had Happy Home Designer, which, um, do you want to kind of explain what that one was? You work for Nook as a realtor, and you would take animals' requests. They wanted a home designed to certain aspects you know, of their personality. Maybe Snake wanted a spooky samurai castle or something like that. So you would build the homes and showcase them to the animals. They'd move in. They were all happy all the time. And that was basically it. And what did you think of that game? I mean, overall, were you a fan of it or did you think it was just not enough? You have to go in with the mindset that this is not a mainline Animal Crossing game. And it gives you ideas as to what could possibly be in the future. They, they implemented some things such as you could center items, which is a really simple thing for Animal Crossing, but it's also really huge because you could, you know, make your home look more natural in a way. So I actually, I didn't mind Happy Home Designer. It is what it was. It was just relaxing to build. If you like to build, it was a good game for that. If all you cared about was designing homes, which I don't think anyone who plays Animal Crossing is solely focused on designing homes. You know, that's a big part of it. That's a big thing to love about it. But there's everything else, Animal Crossing, the social aspect, the animals. And so after Happy Home Designer, we have the only 
Wii U Animal Crossing game, which is Amiibo Festival, right? Yep. Okay. I, I always forget if it's like Amiibo Celebration or Amiibo Extravaganza. And this is like Mario Party meets Animal Crossing? A bit, yep. When Mario Party wasn't going so hot as a series itself, I think Animal Crossing kind of picked up on that line of Mario Party. And it was very bare bones. So is the, is that, would you say that is the worst Animal Crossing game in the series? It's very much up there as being not the best Animal Crossing game. I would say that and Pocket Camp are probably the ones that are the worst. They just don't quite, they don't quite have that relaxing mentality that the other ones were, were focused on. Well, I think in Amiibo Festival's case, it was too relaxed. Mm. The age demographic was definitely much younger. I mean, Animal Crossing is not a super adult game if you want to think about things in terms of adult and whatever. But anybody could pick up Animal Crossing and have fun with it. Amiibo Festival was so bare bones. It was pretty much just reading cards of funny things animals might say. But that's a there was no real interaction. And so Pocket Camp launches after that's the most recent one. That's on the that's mobile. That's just on people's phones. And um, you've already said a couple of things about it. But what were your initial thoughts when that came out? I mean, I was super excited because I'm a very big Animal Crossing fan. Um, I think it came out in like Australia or something first, and everyone was trying to download the different versions. You think it's just a little too hectic? It's so again, it started off very bare bones. It's I remember saying once that Pocket Camp sucks the soul out of Animal Crossing. It's streamlined to take away all the fun. All you do pretty much are chores for the animals. That's how it began. And since then, it's actually been a year since it's been out. It just celebrated its one year anniversary a couple days ago. And they had a huge event. I've stuck with it for the entire year just to see. I think it, it's become more of a routine for me to do. I like to see what's coming ahead for Pocket Camp, if they're going to do anything amazing, but of course they haven't. Uh, but the few things they have done. So the idea of having a camp where you can set up amenities for your animals, such as like a merry-go-round, for instance. In a way, it's like a project or a project, right, for New Leaf, but these are smaller scale. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of cute, but you can't interact with people really. You don't, at least you can't send the messages like you would be able to in New Leaf, for instance, right? You could, you know, send emoji to people at least in New Leaf. You can send kudos in Pocket Camp, but there's no real, I can't say to somebody, um, hey, come hang out, let's go do this fun thing together. It's all about doing chores. If someone wants to help me, like, give me an item you can't really give too many only event specific items you can give like for the bug catching event someone can share bugs with you it has evolved over the year they've added more events but the worst thing about pocket camp is that they have leaf tickets now which you get a number a set number but a lot of good items that you'd want are really costly and you can only get them with leaf tickets ultimately pocket camp wants you to buy with real money as microtransactions do and it's it's tempting but i'm like no i'm not going to do this because it so it feels really 
disingenuous, I guess, for Animal Crossing. Some of some of the charm has been lost. A lot of the charms has been lost, yeah. But we know that there's a new, there's a Switch version of Animal Crossing that's in the works. Nintendo has said as much um, coming next year. And people listening to this, it might already be out. Congratulations, you guys have uh, Animal Crossing on Switch. We're really looking forward to it right now, here at the end of 2018. Is, is there any um, specific feature that you're really hoping for? The simplest thing I really want to see in the next Animal Crossing game would be furniture that you can angle. It sounds so stupid, but... <laughs> <laughs> From a design perspective, it actually looks really nice if you can angle furniture in your house or whatever i hope they bring back from the gamecube the ability to play all your old nintendo games i do not see that happening with them uh you know that's kind of their hook right now for the nintendo online is hey come play all the nes games and those haven't even showed up in any other animal crossing outside of the original release that came to north america i know the 64 version had some as well which i think i mentioned earlier in the episode right I guess we'll just have to find out when it happens. Yep. Yep. Hopefully soon. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on and talking Animal Crossing. Thanks, Ben. Hey, hey, it's time for bonus stage, the part of Challenger approaching where I talk about interesting tidbits that didn't fit anywhere else in the show. Tidbit number one. There are four NES titles, known as the Forbidden Four, buried in the data of Animal Forest Plus and the original North American Animal Crossing. These games include Ice Climbers, Mario Bros, Super Mario Bros, and The Legend of Zelda. None of these titles can be found during normal gameplay, even when using the game's 28 character secret codes. Both Mario Bros. and Ice Climbers can be unlocked in the Western Animal Crossing by using specific e-cards, and Super Mario Bros. was exclusive to Animal Forest Plus as part of a special magazine giveaway. The Legend of Zelda is the only truly forbidden title, as it was never made playable in any way in any version of the game. Tidbit number two! If players can manage to hack the camera in a mainline Animal Crossing game, they can pull back to see that the world is rendered on a large tube shape. This tube constantly rotates to the section of the town the player is moving towards, and gives the game its signature rolling horizon line. Tidbit number 3. Animal Crossing is known for its wonderfully chill but catchy music. Famed Nintendo composer and sound director Kazumi Totaka is partly to thank for this music. Totaka has worked on many hit Nintendo titles over the years, including the original Animal Crossing and many of its sequels. Totaka often hides a special 19-note tune in all the games he works on. This hidden jingle has long been dubbed Totaka's Song, and can be found in everything from Mario Paint, to Wave Race 64, to Pikmin 2. It sounds a little something like this. The song is hidden in many spots throughout the Animal Crossing series, but if players want to hear it on command, they can request the tune KK's Song from the guitar dog KK Slider. 
And of course, it should probably be noted that KK Slider's name in Japan is Tataka. Challenger Approaching is written, recorded, edited, and produced by me, Ben Bertoli, here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Our opening track was created by chiptune composer Branflakes. His music can be found on YouTube under the handle Branflakes325. All the music samples used in this episode are the property of Nintendo. Special thanks to Narelle Hosang for coming on the show as our expert. You can follow Narelle on Twitter at Zarnix. That's Z-A-R-N-Y-X. If you have comments or suggestions for the podcast, or feel I left out something terribly important, feel free to tweet at SuperBentendo, or shoot me an email at HeyBertoli at gmail.com. Challenger Approaching will return in early January 2019 with a new gaming history lesson, so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere fine podcasts can be found. See you soon!